Welcome to the Partnernomics Show, where industry thought leaders discuss the hottest topics in partnerships, ecosystems, and innovation. The Partnernomics Show is brought to you by Iolite Solutions, a product incubator specific to Salesforce. Now here's the host of the Partnernomics Show, Mark Brigman. Welcome back to another episode of the Partnernomics Show. My name is Mark Brigman, your host. And uh, man, I'm pulling somebody else in here to help me out a little bit. Mr. Bob Jones. Bob, how are you doing today? I'm doing fabulous, Mark. Thanks for having me. So Bob is one of our Partnernomics implementers. So we've pulled uh, Bob into the Partnernomics family. And so Bob is now going to be leading um, our different boot camps. And so Bob, I really appreciate you jumping on board, working with us, and now getting ready to start working with our learners. But uh, why? Well, why just why? Why? Why were you interested in working with Partnernomics? What has your experience been? I know we'll get to kind of your background, but decades of of leading really large partnerships. But why Partnernomics? Yeah, it's a it's a great question, and uh, you know, I we could spend twelve hours talking about my background. But uh, I I came to I came to the Partnernomics, as you know, is, you know, through um, my co-founder and I starting Collab to Grow and really wanting to provide, you know, professional services based around partners and alliances. And we, um, you know, we started looking around for methodologies. We couldn't find any. Uh, we started to build one. And then, you know, we met you at the Catalyst Convention, um, did some serious due diligence on your frameworks and methodologies and by far it's it's the best stuff out there and it, it we really wanted to embrace it in our consulting and um we're really excited about actually coaching and teaching folks in the partnernomics methodology well bob you and ken it's been fun getting to to know you guys and to work with you collaborating with you and you know just having the hours and hours of conversations that we've had uh and then you guys digging through uh, becoming splp certified going through all of our content but even going deeper in order to become uh, an implementer it's been awesome to get to know you guys and just sharing that same philosophy of just what it takes uh, to be able to lead these partnerships and so um, I am in particular uh, going to be working with Bob and Ken to go through, we're going to do a deep dive um, over the next year, year plus uh, in some of our partnernomics shows, just really doing a deep dive in into the partnernomics methodology. And so it's going to be fun really digging into that starting today. So Bob, if you are ready, man, we try to keep these uh, shows nice and kind of bite-sized to grab them. So man, let's jump in. Are you ready to uh, to take on the first question? Let's do it. All right, is, I want to get this like Je Is this like Jeopardy? Can I pick a number for 500, please? Um, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> okay, so uh, question one for, for 500. Um, man, executive expectations, right? So we always, we hear about ex executive expectations, but man, what does that really mean? So I want to dissect with you and just kind of ask, you know, in, in this episode, we're going to focus on starting a partnering program from the ground up, right? I understand that most partnering professionals or different folks that are out there, they've had their program in flight probably for years at least. But we're going to kind of start from the ground up and go through the partnernomics methodology and kind of talk about like even pre 
methodology? I mean, what is the very first thing that has to happen? And that's you know centered around executive expectation. So what are some of those key pieces and components that goes into executive expectations? And then how do partnering professionals make sure that they have that? Yeah, well, I think the most important thing when you think about executive expectations for a new program is I think a lot of partnering professionals don't really know that C-level folks don't really understand partnerships. I mean, I think that's the basic first premise you have to have. I mean, what they know about partnerships um, is, you know, they met a fellow C-level person at a convention and somebody said, hey, we should partner. And so their their level of understanding of what a true partnership is, is is very shallow. Um, So they they think, you know, first of all, they think very, sales oriented, transaction oriented. So they think a partnership is a transaction. And when we start to, you know, think about solutions partnerships, they're anything but, you know, they're long-term kind of uh, strategic relationships. And so they they really are kind of thinking transactional versus strategic. And and so what's really important about starting to set those expectations is is really around that, is this isn't something that, you know, we're going to go get a partner and, and, and sell a deal next quarter. So Bob, we've both uh, been an employee to several large organizations, right? I've been doing this partnering thing. You know, part of our methodology, we talk about the importance of building very explicit plans. And so I know in a future topic, we'll, we'll kind of dig into what some of those plans are and what's included in them. But I think it's worth calling out just from the kind of beginning um a plan isn't a plan unless it's written down and you can actually kind of share it and look at it and grapple with it to your point we've all had this happen i know i've had it happen where the vp comes in on monday morning hey you know went to you know a conference last week met you know another executive from an organization there has to be some synergies there let's knock out this deal and it's kind of I, I call it the the tail wagging the dog, you know. But really, it has to start with having the clear strategy from the beginning, what partnering is, how we're going to leverage partnerships, what that means, what it will entail, and making it formalized like that. Yeah, I mean, if you think about, and again, part of it, part of it is where partnerships are and kind of the maturity of the function. I mean, you, if you're a sales exec or a marketing exec or an IT exec, you're not going to the C-suite looking to spend money, time, resources without a plan. Um, and so, you know, uh, planning in the partnership space really has to follow kind of the traditional plans. You know, what's the vision, mission, strategy? And, and then you can talk to C-level uh, execs in their language. I mean, right now we can't, you know, we don't want to talk to them in the partner language. We want to talk to them in the language of business. And so I, I think that's the really the most important thing. If you really want to manage expectations, you have to have a plan. And so I think that's kind of, uh, otherwise, you know, you're going to run into, you know, exact saying what's, you know, what's the next transaction that's coming out of my partnerships. You know, at the, at the end of the day, and I, I, I think I'll steal this line because I, I like it a lot, is, you know, partnerships is not a department, it's a strategy, right? 
So if you're thinking of it as in a in a strategic way, you know they have to build plants, and then you can at least talk to execs in a language they understand. I think another piece, at least that that I see in in coaching different teams across the world, <coughs> is um, a misexpectation on time and resources, oh. but specifically time. You know, I think to the point that you were making, you know, the, the C-suite, these executives uh, that want to leverage the power of partnership and bring that in, you know, the, for the majority of them, their background and their expertise, their, their, their career has been centered around sales, direct sales, working internally. Right. And whenever we decide to leverage the, the power, the capabilities, the connections, the assets, the networks of our partners, by definition, it's a different organization, different strategies, different cultures, different budgets, different interests. <laughs> so it becomes exponentially more difficult and more challenging. And where executives are expecting to get, let's say, in the case of you know channel referral, these uh, more uh, sales-oriented partnerships, expectations is to hit revenue in three months, six months, whatever that might be. More often than not, it's a year or more before there's a positive ROI. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. And, I, you know, we talk a little bit about my background. I come from a very large scale uh, program management background. So I, I've run actually programs as, as large as a billion dollars. And and so the for me, you know, when I look at the lens of partnerships, especially solution partnerships, they feel more like a program then they feel like, you know, a function. And so you really have to, again, uh, again, it's all about setting expectations at sea level is, you know, if you're going to get into a strategic relationship with a partner and actually build a co-build a solution or some new innovation, you know, you're, you're 12 to 24 months away before you even go to market, never mind make money. Yeah. So, I, you know, again, I think that that whole timeline uh, is why it's it's so important to do the pre-planning. You know, yeah. that if, if you can't have that conversation with C-level execs, you know, the first quarter, you're going <laughs> to, it's not going to be pretty. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So we have hit our timeline on that question. Let's jump to question number two, and that is, Clear expectations, right? Clear goals, clear expectations. And something I share is like, if you don't have a goal identified, no expectation set, how can you have accountability? How can you manage to anything? Yeah. Let's, uh, let's hit the topic a little bit about setting goals and setting expectations and the importance of those. Yeah, and I think to me, it's kind of two elements that we, we kid a little bit on it. The first element is time, right? Uh, and especially solution partnering, you know, the goals in year one are going to look a lot different than the goals in, in year three, and they should. Um, so so anybody who's trying to set realistic goals has to start with that time element, you know, set, to, you know, your your first year goals, your second year goals, your third year goals. And then the, the second part uh, that I think is really important is how you set goals. And one of the things I really liked about the partneronomics framework is the whole concept of uh, the perpetual 90-day plan. And again, it, it really resonates for me as a kind of a program management person is, you know, you really just need to keep 
setting goals for every 90 days. And then when you get to that 90 days, hopefully you've made your goals and you reset whatever comes to play. So I think that the 90 day perpetual planning model is just outstanding. And I think, you know, partner professionals should really embrace it. And then, you know, a couple other things. Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was gonna say, I mean, to, to kind of, to, to, to dig on that one a little bit deeper, uh, I promise I won't, I won't jump my soapbox too hard, but that is, <laughs> you know what? At the executive level, you know, we need to build these annual plans so we identify this direction and everybody can can resource, you know, allocate their resources based upon that that direction. And annual goals are super important. But in my humble opinion, whenever it comes to like operationalizing and managing on the day-to-day basis, I am an absolute firm believer in these 90-day sprints. That we that we set up as as you mentioned, and so you know we really encourage people from an operations perspective to set up these ninety day sprints, and that they're just perpetual, and, and you run them that way, and so you know you're able to manage them in more of these bite sized chunks. There's so many moving parts, especially in partnerships. Obviously, it's external working with these organizations. There's markets changing and shifting, new capabilities come in. Uh, we need to be able to take this more agile approach so we can uh, take advantage of new opportunities, but also adjust to new challenges that's going to come up in front of us. And these happen on a monthly basis uh, they, to give us maybe right. just a little bit more manageable. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And like I said, uh, it, it, it is, and by the way, it is a program management best practices to do things in these, in these 90 day windows. Um, because a year is just too long. Um, so then, the, you know, then the other thing I think is is focus around, you know, realistic goals. You know, don't set 97 of them. You know, uh, three is probably the right number at any given time. Um, and, you know, uh, goal setting, obviously, you need to, un- you know, understand, you know, a, a start, a finish, a, what's it look like when you're done. Um, so just kind of best practices around goal setting. But again, I think the more important thing is, you know, the 90 day window, keep it, keep it in there and, and keep it to three goals. Um, it seems like a, a lot of, especially executives, they want to make goals become their, their Christmas wish list. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, uh, what, what things do we want done this year? What, what things do we want done this quarter? And we get this long laundry list. We've heard, well, you, you stole somebody's quote, so I'm going to steal somebody's as well. If everything's a priority, nothing's a priority. Yeah. Right. But if we hand over this laundry list of 10 goals to accomplish, you know, this quarter or this year, uh, that defeats the purpose of having focused energy. And I think to your point, you know, if it's we identify three and we really put a lot of our power and, and energy into that, we'll have a chance to, to move the needle. Um, so we hit that one. Let's go to question number three. And that's this one. Is this one for a thousand? Come on. This I, one is for I, I a thousand. Win, I want to well, actually, this is money. your daily double, man. This is your oh, daily oh, double. Man. This is your chance to double it. Yikes. Um, executive sponsorship. You know, it's probably is pretty self-explanatory, but why is it important to get executive sponsorship and then what does that mean? How wide does does that go? <laughs> this one's just, I mean, there's 
this is like a softball mark you're really going to give me this one <laughs> and this is this is the double your points i know this is the daily wow. double first of all i'm gonna i'm gonna make a statement that probably we should end the conversation anyways but if you don't have executive commitment and and when i talk about executives it's c ceo c-suite board depending on the size of your company investors depending on where you are in a company uh if if you don't have their buy-in to your partner program and under, understanding and buy-in the, the chances of you failing are about 99 percent. so that's probably the most important reason why you need um executive buy-in and by the way if you don't believe me just look at linkedin every day these these last few months and all of those folks i can guarantee you the partner folks that are all getting let go they didn't have buy-in from their executive team because if the, the executive teams aren't cutting salespeople, so if they really thought partnerships were going to generate sales, if they really understood and really bought into the program, you wouldn't see all the partnership folks getting laid off. So step one is if you don't have that, go home. <laughs> Get I love how you specifically call out, it's not just the CEO, but it's going across the C-suite. And you know, we talk about partnering being a culture you know so many times whenever organizations start uh they start off you know kind of building the sales team and you're doing this direct approach which by definition is being independent us in the foxhole us against the world we can do this and that that builds this strong but independent culture and then whenever we you know whenever a lot of organizations get years down the road now they decide they want to leverage the power of partnership now we want to be um interdependent which means we're dependent on these right. other organizations and so now we're relying on these other companies their assets their resources their customers uh, in order for us to be successful and it's it's a culture shift and if you don't have not only, like you said, not only the CEO, but the but the entire C-suite, marketing, revenue officers, finance officers, you have to have them buying in to this culture shift, this strategy shift to embrace partnering. Yeah, well, let me just give an example from my background, not specific to alliances, but just in general. I used to report to the uh, CFO at Fleet Bank when I was a CIO there. Um, and during times of uh, economic stress, you know who the most important C-level exec is in the, in the place? Amen. It's the, C it's the CFO. <laughs> Amen. So you might think you might get your, your CRO and your marketing exec all jazzed about both partners. In a recession, you better convince your CFO that it's worth the money. So. Yeah, I think to, to your point and what we're kind of experiencing right now, uh, partnering by definition is this longer term play, uh, which is kind of the antithesis of sales, which is kind of the shorter term yeah. play, right? We're always chasing this quota and it's, you know, the partnering being a longer term play, whether you're talking, you know, revenue focused partnerships or solutions, uh, these product building relationships, those are a longer term play. And if you don't have this deep commitment, and and the cheerleaders on your side with the discipline to stay with that long-term vision we're seeing what we see now on linkedin right yeah <laughs> we are and it's you see a lot of people getting cut and it's not it's and it's not I, pretty 
you know, not to put a shameless plug in, but if they had all gone through the partneronomics approach and had their plans in place, probably we'd probably see less. In fact, I'd be willing to bet your partneronomics clients are not the ones we're seeing on LinkedIn. Right? We see, I mean, they're, they're, they're crushing it. They're crushing exactly. it. And we'll show proof of that. We'll show proof of that soon. All right. I'm ready to uh, hit you. Timer's up. I'm ready to hit you with, a, with another okay. one. This is the fourth and final question. And this is, uh, you know, predominantly for, for smaller organizations, but the question is, can partnering be a part-time job? Like whenever we look at partnering organizations uh, or these these companies that are doing partnering well, is it possible to have it as a part-time job or do they need to have some committed resources? <laughs> well, I, my experience, and, and you know, we obviously deal with a lot of clients who are starting programs. Um, a couple of things happen. One is they take someone that's really good and they give them a nighttime job to kind of play around in partnerships. So they, they treat it like a science project. Um, or even worse, and we've seen this quite a bit, they take somebody who's not been particularly successful in sales or marketing and, and rather than jettison that person, they say, hey, you go be the partner person. So, uh, you know, I, I don't, if you're gonna get into partnering, you have to make a commitment. You can't, it can't be a science project. It, it, to me, even in the smallest company, if you're not willing to make an FTE, a full FTE commitment, you probably shouldn't even start your partner program. So my opinion, it, it should be a, a full FTE as, and as well, kind of giving that FTE some, some budget to do stuff. If it's worth doing, it's worth doing right. Yeah. And and wait until you're ready. I, I couldn't agree with you. Couldn't agree with you more, Bob. I mean, wait until you're ready. You have all the commitment. You've done those pieces up front, but wait till you're ready to bring somebody on that can dedicate their time for that. Because just like you pointed out, I mean, what we commonly see is you know somebody comes over from sales or somebody comes over from marketing because they're used to working with uh, outside organizations. So. I mean, surely they'll be good with partnering, right? I mean, that's working with outside organizations, but but it is a part-time job for them. And it's not even an equal part-time job. It's one of those things, well, we'll kind of, we'll do it after our day job is done. Yeah. <laughs> and we know that in sales and in marketing, right? There's always that looming monthly quota or those daily, those weekly numbers that have to be hit. And so, you know, partnering is one of those things that requires momentum. It requires this constant nurturing. And if we don't have at least one FTE in there, it's it's not going to work. Yeah, 100% agree. And I think the other part is not only should it be a full FTE, but it either should be one of your A-team superstars. No. Um, who, who's Because as we know, uh, partnership kind of the skills and competencies for really effective partnership leaders is way broader than a typical salesperson or a marketing person. So one, if you're gonna take someone from your team, make it your A player that hopefully can, you know, maneuver across all those competencies. And if it's not, then go out and hire an experienced A player that already yeah. has partnerships. Yeah, that's that's an awesome topic, and uh, we'll definitely be hitting that one. But yeah, what is the difference between uh, an A player on the sales team and and kind of those 
personality attributes of A players and partnering teams are actually very, very different. And that's a fun topic that we'll, we'll end yeah, up digging into. Much, much different. In fact, I, I would, again, kind of from the, because I come kind of from the program management world, a good program manager would likely be better, better partnership person than a bad salesperson. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, it's just so broad and just the yeah. coordination of having a lot of different components going. And it's, it's, it's not the the typical kind of hunter to go out and kind of do right. this one-to-one sort of a relationship. It's coordinating. I use the analogy of an air traffic controller. You know, they're, they're never flying the planes, but they're, they're coordinating a lot of moving parts uh, to keep those in place. So it's definitely vastly different, but a fun topic that we'll end up digging into. Yeah, could, I think we could, uh, we could go uh, 12 questions for a thousand on that. One for sure. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Bob, that wraps it up for this show, man. It's uh, short, sweet, quick, but uh, hopefully we pass some insights to folks for them to check out. But look forward to having many, many more of these sessions with you while we dig into uh, the entire Partneronomics methodology. Well, I appreciate uh, being on. I really enjoyed it. Like I said, I, I like you, I'm passionate about this. I think there's such an upside to the partnerships world. Um, we just need to get the enthusiastic people upskilled to be able to actually do the work that needs to be done. So learn the science of partnering, right? Exactly. The a lot more science than it is art. Let's get the science it, out it, there. Absolutely. hundred percent. Thanks, Bob. You're welcome. We'll talk soon. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of the Partnernomics Show. Don't forget to subscribe to get the newest episodes at thepartnernomicsshow.com. Special thanks to our sponsors, Iolite. To learn more about Iolite, visit iolitepro.com. And Partnernomics, the science of partnering. To learn more about the suite of Partnernomics courses, coaching programs, and consulting services, visit partnernomics.com. See you on the next episode.